Hello and welcome to Bite Size Strategy, the podcast that provides you with less fluff and more stuff that you can actually use to grow your brand online. In every episode, we cut the banter, we get down to business, and we talk actionable tips and tricks for online marketing, copywriting, optimizing your website, and more. I'm your host, Ashley Kay, a web designer, digital strategist, and all-around nerd. If you would like to connect with me in between episodes, you can give me a follow on Instagram at buildintandblossom or check out buildintandblossom.com for more. Hey friends, how's it going? Welcome to another fun-filled episode. I've been really busy, so normally I record my episodes Monday night and put them out Tuesday. I'm a little bit behind schedule, so it's currently Tuesday when I'm recording this, and I'm realizing right now how big of a mistake it was missing my regular Monday night recording sesh, because every day here in my neighborhood, it is pretty noisy. There's always something going on. Thursday is one of my gardener, or one of my neighbor's gardeners comes Friday. The other neighbor's gardener comes Wednesday is trash day. Tuesday there's stuff going on, which I'll get to in a minute. But Monday, for whatever reason, it's usually pretty free and clear. So Monday is a great day to record. Tuesday, when I'm recording right now, however, is not the best because as I mentioned, Wednesday, tomorrow is garbage day. And Tuesday is when a lot of the garbage pickers or whatever you want to call them come through the neighborhood and they collect like all the garbage and like recyclables that they can before garbage day tomorrow. So here in California, I know this is not how it is in every state, but here in California, we pay like an extra little fee or tax if we buy something like in a glass bottle or like canned drinks or something like that. So if you buy something in a glass bottle, like a kombucha, which I love by the way, I believe it's either five or 10 cents that you pay like as the tax at the store. And then you can get reimbursed for that a little bit if you take your empty cans, your empty glass bottles, your empty plastic bottles and whatnot into a recycling center. Now, a lot of people, they don't mess with this because I I don't know, like it's time consuming, of course, to go in and take all your empty recyclables and exchange them for cash. So a lot of people don't do it. A lot of people just put them in the regular recycling bins outside. But then you have your garbage pickers who go and collect all of these recyclables so they can go in and turn them in for money. And you know what? I don't really blame them. I mean, it's basically like free money being given away. I'd probably be more into it, but I'm kind of a germaphobe. And the idea of going through other people's trash and like touching bottles that other people have had their dirty, nasty mouths on, I am not about that. But apparently a lot of people are because it's every day, but Tuesday is really heavy with these trash pickers going throughout the alley. So every Tuesday I've noticed This one guy in particular drives a Jeep, he shows up, and he parks outside my window, and he stays there for like an hour and a half, like organizing all of the recyclables that he's collected. And the noise is so grating. It's like nails on a chalkboard. There's something that is so awful about that, you know, like that crushing plastic sound or like the can like compression sound. You know what I mean? I don't know. Maybe you don't because I know not every state, you know, does this. I know not every state has these garbage pickers, but oh my gosh, it is so 
loud. It's so annoying. And he usually comes in probably like the next hour or so, I've noticed. He has like a pattern. He has a routine. So I'm really hoping maybe he took the day off. Maybe he's going to come a little bit later because if he comes, there is no way that I can record this episode because all you would be hearing is crunching plastic. So anyway, that's what I'm dealing with. I've also been super busy. Like I said, I'm a little bit behind schedule. I've been working on some new like intense coding projects and there are a lot of highs and lows with that. So I'm not going to bore you with the details of that. Instead, let's just jump right into the episode because I think my five minutes of banter that I sometimes do at the beginning of each episode is up. So let's move on. Let's talk about our topic for today. And this is one of those things that you could really file away in multiple categories. Maybe SEO, aka search engine optimization, user experience, website building, copywriting. Like so much stuff when it comes to building your brand online, there's a lot of overlap because everything is connected. So our discussion today is going to start more in the SEO world, and then we're going to shift to copywriting and user experience. So it's going to be a journey, and like I said, it's all connected. So we're in for a fun ride. And today we're going to be talking about links. Mm -hmm. Links. Links on your website are crucial for building a strong interconnected web of content. They're also obviously important because they allow you to direct your website visitors where you want them to go next so they don't like leave your website altogether. You can have internal links and external links on your website. And if you aren't sure what the difference between those two is, the names themselves really provide a big hint, okay? So an internal link is a hyperlink to another page on your own website. So for example, if I am working on a page on my own website with the URL builditandblossom.com slash X, and then I add a link to builditandblossom.com slash Y, well, that would be considered an internal link. And then we have external links, and external links are links that direct the website users off of your own site. So if I'm working on that same page, the URL is builditandblossom.com slash X, and I add a link to apple.com or google.com, something like that, that would be considered an external link. Kind of easy stuff to remember, am I right? Well, today we're mostly going to be talking about internal links, but a lot of this stuff you're going to be able to apply to external links as well. But I want to talk about internal links because it gives us a little bit more to talk about. And I'm bringing this whole topic up for several reasons. And the main one here is that there are a lot of misconceptions about how to properly use internal links. At some point, someone out there in the world said something like, internal links are good. Add internal links to your website pages. And they probably said that because it's absolutely true. Internal links are good and they help readers and search engines alike understand how your content is connected to one another, what pages are the most important, and so on. But like so many things in the world of SEO, and again, that stands for search engine optimization, Someone really took this concept and kind of went rogue with it. And today we see a lot of egregious instances of internal linking that are actually doing more harm than good. So yes, 
Friends, let's talk about links so you can improve your internal linking strategy, which is going to strengthen your website and digital presence overall. The good news here, this isn't really super difficult stuff. I'm going to be talking a little bit of tech talk, a little tech jargon here, but even if you're like not super tech savvy, it's generally pretty painless to add or modify a hyperlink in your content management system. So this topic, what we're talking about here today, this is for everyone. So without any further ado, let's go over some do's and don'ts when it comes to your internal linking strategy. Our first do here is do link relevant pages together. And the keyword is relevant. I mentioned just a little bit ago that links are crucial for building a strong interconnected web of content. They help search engines understand how your pages and your content are related to one another. And when it comes to SEO, there's a term called authority. Now I'm going to simplify this concept a little bit just for the sake of being concise, but your website's domain authority affects your overall visibility when it comes to search engines. In other words, it affects your ability to rank on a search engine result page. Now, new websites start with zero domain authority, and of course, the goal is to build the authority up over time. Why? Because a website with low authority is going to have a very difficult time landing at the top of Google's search engine results page. And that's what everyone wants, right? They want to get their website to the top of Google. Now, there's multiple factors that go into this whole authority building stuff, and you really have to play the long game. And if you're curious what your own domain authority score is right now, you can just open Google, you can search domain authority checker or something like that, and you're going to find various tools where you can pop your domain name in and check your authority score. Now, the closer your score is to 100, the better, although don't be disheartened if you're nowhere near that because a perfect perfect 100, that's going to be pretty much impossible to achieve. Even well-known like household brand names, they don't score 100. They might be in the 90s, they might be in the 80s, I've seen some in the 70s, but a perfect 100 is very difficult. And there are also individuals and brands out there who pull in hundreds of thousands of dollars per year but whose websites have extremely low domain authority scores. So this isn't necessarily a direct indicator of your overall success. So don't obsess over your domain authority score if it's low. Although, of course, the goal from a website perspective is to build that score up over time. Anywho, virtually identical to domain authority is page authority. Each of your pages has its own page authority measure. Now, naturally, some of your pages on your website are going to have higher page authority than others. Maybe you have a super popular, extremely well-written and thorough article and it's getting traffic from a bunch of other high authority websites. Well, that page is probably going to have a much higher page authority score than a page that for whatever reason isn't as popular. But what you can do is you can kind of sort of spread the authority around from a high authority page to a lower one by adding a link to it on the high authority page. And sometimes you'll hear this referred to as spreading the link juice. 
And so in theory, in a perfect world, that is going to help the lower authority page increase its authority, helping it more easily get found via search engines. But keeping it relevant is important because tech talk aside, it's just kind of common sense, right? Keep it relevant. So if you have a page on your website and it's like a great how-to guide on darning socks, but then you add a link on that page to another page on your website and that page is talking about your awesome vacation in Bora Bora, well, that makes absolutely no sense. And when I was doing the research for this episode, I stumbled on a bit of advice that I really liked. It was a quote in an article from local web's Jorge Sheffy. I hope I pronounced that right. And the quote is, every page you publish should have at least one relevant link to another page on your website. If you don't think a page can have a link to another page on your site, if it doesn't connect somehow to the bigger picture of your website, then the page may not be essential. So keep this in mind as you develop your content and you work on your link strategy. Keep it tight. Keep it interconnected. It's really going to help. Now we're going to move on to our first don't. And our first don't is don't include too many links. So when you're adding links to your website pages, you at all costs want to avoid confusing or annoying your website visitors. We're going to be talking about this a lot more. Now, this one is easy if you keep common sense in mind, but all too often, I think people get blinded by these SEO myths or poor interpretations of best practices that are out there. And it just ends up being a weird, bad situation. Now, we've already talked about the relevance thing. This is important because linking pages together that aren't related is a surefire way to lose your audience, right? They're going to get annoyed. They're going to get confused. And another way you can annoy people is by including too many links. Too many links, they seem spammy. That's a turnoff for both humans and search engines alike. Now, story time here. I had a client come to me once and they had spent thousands of dollars on a quote SEO expert and I have that term or that title in quotes because I have an issue with it because the fact is anyone can call themselves an SEO expert and I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The SEO expert that this client had hired was anything but. There were a lot of bad things happening that they had implemented. So one of the biggest offenses was completely butchering the copy on the website. And the SEO expert placed the most irrelevant links everywhere and anywhere. And we're talking like a hundred word paragraph and 20 of those words were hyperlinks. Now, there's no set rule for the right amount of links, by the way, but the rule of thumb that does go around the most is aim for three to five links for every 1,000 words. So if you do the math, the website that I'm talking about with the uh, SEO expert, they had 200 links for every 1,000 words. It was a lot, and like I said, it was a big offense. Now, I'm going to be bringing up this example again in just a minute, but let's quickly dive into why too many links are bad. So Google's own John Mueller has essentially came out and said that using too many internal links can dilute their value. And this is a quote, if you have a 
quote, giant mass of pages for this website and they're all interlinked. We can't figure out which one is the most important. We can't figure out which one of these are related to each other. And in a case like that, having all of those internal links, that's not really doing your site that much. I think that quote's a little bit confusing, but Mueller goes on to say, quote, yes, if you do dilute the value of your site structure by having so many internal links that we don't see a structure anymore, then that does make it harder for us, aka Google, to understand what you think is important about your website. So basically, internal links are important, but to fully get the most out of them, you can't be heavy-handed. Don't use too many links, and if you're following our first do and only linking your relevant pages, you shouldn't have much of an issue. All right, so let's move on to our next don't here. Our next don't is don't forget that a link is a promise. Now, if you have listened to this podcast for a while now, you know that I love to reference the articles and the research that the folks at Nielsen Norman Group put out. Nielsen Norman Group is an agency. They focus on research-based user experience. They have been around since the early days of the internet, and they're just a really great, trustworthy source for all things user experience. So Nielsen Norman Group has a great article on their website and the title of it is A Link is a Promise. The article begins by telling us, quote, any broken promise, large or small, chips away at trust and credibility. The words in a link label make a strong suggestion about the page that is being linked to. The destination page should fulfill what the anchor text promises. Now, let me explain what they mean by that by bringing up the example that I mentioned just a few moments ago, the website that had the quote SEO expert who added like 20 links per paragraph. So aside from the sheer amount of links that were being used on this website, what was really bad was the links made no sense whatsoever. So if you were a user on this website, you know, you'd be reading the paragraph and then you'd find the word here that was a hyperlink and it was linked to the contact page. And then you'd see the word talk and that was hyperlinked to the contact page as well. And then the word blue was linked to a product on the website that happened to have blue in it. And then there was like the phrase custom work and that was linked to Instagram. Like I'm still scratching my head about that one. I really would love to know what this quote SEO expert was thinking. Now the issue here is that the reader has no idea what they're gonna get, right? If you see the word custom work hyperlinked in a paragraph, where would you expect that that link goes to? That's a question. Where do you think the term custom work, if it's linked, would lead to? Personally, if I see the phrase custom work hyperlinked, I'm going to assume clicking on it is going to bring me to a page, like maybe a portfolio page, where I'm able to see some of the business owner's custom work. Now, you may have a totally different answer because really, if we ask a hundred different people what page they expect the phrase custom work to go to, you're going to get a hundred different answers. And what that tells me is that the phrase custom work probably isn't that good of a pick for a link label. 
the link label needs to be more descriptive to be the best that it can be. Because if I click on custom work and I am expected to reach a portfolio page, but instead I get redirected to like some two-year-old post on Instagram, well, I'm going to be confused, right? I'm going to be frustrated AF. Does anyone say that anymore? I don't know. And this certainly is something that, as Nielsen Norman Group puts it, quote, chips away at trust and credibility. You also have to remember that most website visitors have very little patience, right? Most people, they're going to leave your website if it doesn't load for them within a few seconds. And likewise, most people come into your website with very small click budget, so to speak. So you don't want to force them into wasting their clicks on dumb links. For example, a contact button in the hero section on your homepage, 99.9% .9 of the time, that is not a good choice. So really quickly here, if you think about the typical structure of a website's homepage, you have the logo and the navigation links at the very top of the page. Those are actually consistent throughout. And then you have this hero section, kind of like a banner with an image, a headline, usually a description and a button. And if you have that button be contact, it doesn't really make any sense because most users aren't going to be ready to contact you after immediately landing on your homepage. They have to know more about you. They have to know more about what your offer is first. So if people click on a button that says contact in the homepage hero section, it's probably because they did so mindlessly and they aren't actually interested in contacting you yet. So what you can do is you can build trust with your users by thinking like them. Provide them with only the right links that make sense to them, that make sense when you consider what point they're at in their journey with getting to know you, right? Clearly describe where the link leads and make sure that the destination is in line with what the reader wants and expects to see, okay? All right, so let's move on to another do. Do make sure the link label stands on its own. And I know I've been talking about this a little bit here, but just so you're clear, the link label is sometimes referred to as the link text or anchor text or sometimes the link title. So it's what we've been talking about here, the words that make up the hyperlink. And you can apply this to the words you use for your call to action buttons too, since they are after all links. Now we need to make sure that the link labels we use stand on their own without the reader needing to figure out more about where the link goes by reading the surrounding content. And this can be hard for us to remember because when we're in copywriting mode, you know, we got maybe our Microsoft Docs or our our pages or our Google Docs or whatever we got open and we're writing the copy for our websites when we're in that mode. It makes perfect sense to have a heading about something and then we follow it up with a description and then we add a learn more link, right? It's logical. But what we have to remember is that the vast majority of website visitors scan our content. They don't read it word for word like they would if they're reading like a novel for leisure or something. And if you'd like to learn more about how users read online, it's really a topic that you need to know if you're publishing anything out there on the interwebs. I've got a free 30-minute training on my website that covers exactly that. So you can visit builditandblossom.com and then just scroll down to the bottom in the footer there, you will see all the info you need to get access to that training.
even though we may not want them to. The fact is, there are likely going to be some people visiting our website that only read the link or the call to action button. They don't read the paragraph right above the link that provides more context. And so what this means is we have to make sure that our links stand on their own. If a user only reads your link label, are they going to understand where the link is going to redirect them? I don't know. When you consider that, you know, you can understand how using link labels like learn more or click here or more info, those things are just not going to cut it. So instead, opt to use a link label that completely and fully describes the destination. Don't use generic or vague labels. It's a real hard habit to break. I know, but it's going to make your copy and website stronger, and it should ultimately lead to more conversions. It's going to help people stick around longer. And that leads me to our last little do here. Do keep your link labels short but smart. Finding the perfect link label can be difficult. We just kind of talked about this, you know. Not using a generic click here link or, you know, not using a single word like blue as a link, that is certainly a step in the right direction. Going beyond that, though, try to keep your link label short but smart at the same time. Properly describing the destination of the link, setting accurate expectations, and providing enough context so that the link stands on its own is the first step. And the fewer words you can do that in, the better. But don't cut out words just to have a shorter link or a prettier looking button. Find the balance. So something like download the white paper, that's better than just download. But there are times when something even longer, like 10 internal linking strategies white paper, maybe that fits even better because it provides more context and description. That's totally fine. Just avoid throwing in words that aren't necessary. Download my white paper to learn 10 of my best internal linking strategies and other tips. That's totally unnecessary, right? So avoid doing that. And also note that the first couple words of your link are extra important because most website visitors scan website copy and elements and they don't take in the whole thing. They don't take in all the words. We kind of talked about this already, right? So front load your links with words that contain the most information. A link label like beat anxiety with our tips. That's going to be more front loaded than download our tips to help you beat anxiety. Again, it can be hard to get all of your link labels perfect 100% of the time, which leads me to the last point here. It's not a do or don't, but I do want to make this really clear here at the end of the episode. It's absolutely okay to not get this perfect. It's okay for this to be a work in progress. As solopreneurs and small business owners, we have limited time, and I know that better than anyone. Trust me kind of talked about that at the beginning of this episode. I am running behind schedule this week and that's okay. I'm also going to be really transparent with you guys. I totally have a few learn more buttons on my website that have kind of slipped through the cracks. I still have some articles that aren't properly linked to one another because I haven't been able to free up the time in my schedule to add them. Is it ideal? No, of course not. Is it okay? Sure, yeah, because we're all about doing things better here, not perfect, and it's okay for things to be a work in progress, so don't get discouraged by anything that we talked about here today. 
you are a work in progress. That's totally okay. And with that, that's going to wrap up this episode. Like so many of the topics here, you can go a lot deeper into the world of links. This was an overview that really kind of only touched the tip of the iceberg. But knowing these do's and don'ts certainly puts you in a much better position than not knowing them, right? As a brief overview here, our three do's for linking are one, do link relevant pages together. Two, do make sure the link label stands on its own and provides enough context to people who skim or scan. And three, do keep your link labels short but smart. And then our don'ts. We got two of them. We got don't number one, don't include too many links. And don't number two, don't forget that a link is a promise. Always consider the actual human, your target audience, the person on the other end of the screen. Are they receiving the information that they need? Or is something you're doing causing them to become annoyed or frustrated or confused? Any sort of optimization you do should not come at the sacrifice of your integrity or the experience that your user has on your website. And with that, that's a wrap, you guys. We made it. We made it without the garbage picker showing up. I'm so happy. I will see you next week.